Amen. Give Pastor Haley a hand, if you would, please. Fantastic. If you were not here last Sunday, you missed something absolutely awesome. She did a bang-up job concluding our serve series, and uh, just uh, I mentioned then about how proud I am of this team. Jeremy, the week before, and of course, Pastor Alex regularly does series here along with me. <clears throat> so we're just really excited about all that the Lord is doing. As Haley was telling you, we've got a great, great book that we're going to kick off in October called The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews. Uh, it's, it's more of a motivational, it's a little bit success oriented, but it's definitely biblical. Some great stuff that you'll find in there in terms of principles that can bless you personally, individually, in your family, uh, in your job, in your business. And so we're going to kick that off. Actually, I think October the 2nd is the first Sunday in that new series coming up next month. And we've got life groups that will be giving, put a card in your seat next Sunday and you'll be able to get involved in one of these, several in West Memphis and Marion. It's going to be a fantastic time. I just want to say how appreciative I am of all of you being here. I know it's a holiday weekend, a lot of, lot of folks out traveling, uh, and we know that. Matter of fact, the praise team, a whole bunch of the folks are gone, and family reunions, and kind of a last hurrah with some family at the lake, <clears throat> and that sort of thing. But I, I don't want to hold back from kicking off this new series. I'm very excited about it. It's called In God We Trust. We obviously know that appears on every coin, every bill, uh, all of our money in America. I think that um, obviously our roots, our Christian heritage in the United States uh, began with something that's very uh, God-centered. We, we know that our culture right now at this point is in trouble. It has been really probably for about 100 years and seems to just be on a slide, a moral decline. There are periods in that last hundred years where we would see a little bit of a, a surge, a little bit of revival, and I believe that depends more on the church than it does on anything else. It depends on really us recognizing what God has called us to do, who he has made us to be in Christ. Uh, if, if you don't have a sense of your identity, if you're, if you're looking for the world to define you, Scripture tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world. It's the idea of being fashioned-like, kind of a forced in on you from the outside without thinking. But it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorpho, the idea of from the inside out, sort of the caterpillar weaving the cocoon and from the inside out becomes the butterfly that struggles to emerge. And even the struggle is ordained of God because if you cut the cocoon open and you let the caterpillar out early, then the butterfly doesn't experience the struggle necessary to force the blood, if a, if a butterfly has blood, whatever that life is called in the, the life source, like it is in humans, it's called blood. But whatever that flows through the little bitty tiny veins of the wings of the butterfly, it's in the struggle that that's forced completely through. And then that gives the butterfly strength to fly. And so there, there may be some struggles that you're facing right now that you wonder why God doesn't just sort of you know, slit the cocoon open and let you out. And it's because there is a necessary struggle that many times we go through that forces the awareness of the strength of who Christ is on the inside of us so that we can encounter life once we do emerge from that cocoon. Can I have an amen? amen. I want to jump right in this morning. In, uh, this is called In God We Trust. This first one is called Kingdom Entrepreneurs. You may wonder what in the world I'm thinking with that, and I'm going to tell you. But I have a five-question uh, or a five-statement quiz that's all true-false, 
And I'd like, I'm going to read through it without taking a long time to trying to, you know, specifically analyze. Uh, let's just, let's, let's go through this probably in about three minutes. So here we go. Number one, you don't have to raise your hand or say anything out loud. Just circle true or false. Whether the statement that you read in these five sentences are true or false. Number one, the Bible is a spiritual book and is only concerned with eternal things. True or false? I'll give you a second to respond. Think about it. The Bible is a spiritual book and is only concerned with eternal things. True or false? Number two, the focus of the gospel is getting you to heaven when you die. The focus of the gospel is getting you to heaven when you die. True or false? Number three, Jesus had really very little to say about earthly things like money. Jesus had very little to say about earthly things like money. True or false? Number four, Poverty is a necessity for true spirituality. Poverty is a necessity for true spirituality. Is that true or false? And then finally, number five, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. True or false? The Bible says money is the root of all evil. All right, now, don't, don't raise your hand. We're not scoring this. This just gives you sort of an idea of to what degree that you may have or may not have developed a biblical worldview about this particular subject, about what the Bible is, the, the scope of the gospel to what it reaches, and especially about this issue of money, because that's what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. I just want to tell you right now, I don't, don't know how many have, might have gotten it right, and it's not really important. But score yourself. Every one of these are all false statements. All five. All five of these are completely, totally false statements. Number one, the Bible is a spiritual book and is only concerned with eternal things. That's ridiculous. The Bible is a book that speaks to every area of life. We, we read about kings who see good-looking women on uh, a, a rooftop, and they have temptations, and they slip and sin, and then in covering that, he lies about it, and then he has the husband killed, and he lies about that, and here comes the prophet. That's just one of the multitudes of Bible stories that speak to the human condition in which all of us live, and how we conduct our affairs, how we live our lives, how we do our business on a daily basis, how we spend our money. Number two, the focus of the gospel is getting you to heaven when you die. Absolutely not. That's a byproduct the focus of the gospel is to take the life of Christ and plant the seed of who God is on the inside of you so that you're a demonstration of light in the middle of a dark culture. Then when you die, you do get the, the blessed reward of going to heaven and being with him in his presence. But if that was God's object, as soon as you said, Jesus, be my Lord, he would have zapped you with the heavenly hammer and said, come on home, son, daughter. But he didn't do that. He said, you've got a job to do. I have... I have I have reached you. I have planted a seed on the inside of you with a distinct and specific purpose. The gospel is not just to get you to heaven when you die. The gospel is to transform you in the middle of a dark, disgusting, wicked culture so that you can be a light in the middle of all of that stuff. Number three, Jesus had really very little to say about earthly things like money. I don't know if this will surprise you. Jesus talked about money more than he did any other subject in the gospels. He talked about money more than he did prayer and hell combined. All of the parables that deal with economics, 
and management and stewardship, the talents, the talents that we normally preach in terms of God gave you the ability to draw or the talent of singing has nothing to do with it. That was a talent. It was a measurement of gold. It was like a talent would be like a $100 bill. It was an economic value, and it was how they took those talents of gold, that monetary value, and how they economically traded, occupied until he come, until he came. And so when we talk about money, many folks don't realize that Jesus talked about money than he did any other subject that he ever talked about. It was the only thing that he ever said that you can't serve God in something else. We all have sense to know that you can't serve God in sin. We know that you can't serve God and sex. We know that you can't serve God and power. But there's something about money that is so alluring. He specifically, this is the only thing that he specifically said, you cannot serve God and mammon or money. Because there's an allurement to it. There is a, there is a, there is a scary negative side to it, but there's also a very positive side. Just because money has the ability to draw me away from my purpose and who God has called me to do. Driving an automobile is also very dangerous. I have not stopped driving because there is the fear or the risk of getting killed on the highway. I learn how to drive responsibly. Same thing. I learn how to use money carefully and responsibly for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God, for the purpose of, of seeing God bless his covenant, myself, my family, this church, the earth. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Poverty is a necessity for true spirituality. That is an idea that's not rooted in the Bible. Somehow we think the idea, that's that's sort of that old thing, you know, that some of the old church members used to say years ago, oh God, if you'll just keep our preacher humble, we'll keep him poor. (laughs) And how many of you know, there's, there's really very little in terms of where the spiritual person is. You can be rich and spiritual. You can be poor and spiritual. You can be both of those and not be spiritual at all. I'll just say this to you, and I'm getting ahead of myself a couple of messages, but prosperity is always the greater test because when you are in poverty, that's when you desperately know that only God can help you. That's when you really do cry out to God. So the greatest test is when God does bless you. Book of Deuteronomy, when you get over there into that promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, and there's copper in those hills, and you're going to see the produce of the land, do not forget, but remember that it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth, because you're going to get over there, and you're going to work, and you're going to see blessing come, and you're going to think, oh, it's the power of my own hand and my ingenuity that brought this to me, but he says, do not forget that it's the Lord who gives you the power. The Bible says money's the root of all evil. You know, that is the most misunderstood, misconceived, misquoted scripture, probably in the Bible in America. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And how many of you know you don't have to have any of it to love it? You can be poor as Job's turkey. I don't know how poor that was. That's something my granddad always said. You can be poor as Job's turkey. And I think Job was pretty rich for that matter. Uh, When he lost it all, he certainly wasn't rich. But then God restored it double, double portion. Everything he lost, God brought it back. All right, so all of those statements are false. And as we jump in today, I want you to see that there's some important, very critical principles that we're trying to grab a hold of. And we want to go back to the very first chapter of the Bible. We want to go back to the account of creation. Now, I'm not going to be as preachy today, maybe as I have been in some messages, but I want to try to just bear down and teach a little bit. The account of creation in Genesis 1, you see in the opening, you see two elements that you always see in the gospel. Spirit and word. Everybody say spirit and word. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. One translation says over the water. So the Spirit of God, it's the picture of wind over water. Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. It's like you've got to clear your throat in the Hebrew when you say it. Ruach. Ruach. And it's the idea of wind, breath, spirit. The Spirit of God is hovering over the deep. And then in the very next verse you see the Bible says, and God said. Everybody say, and God said. So you have the Spirit of the Lord drawing, and then you have the Word of God creating. This is the same thing that happens in you as a new creation. The Spirit of God begins to move in your life, and he hovers over you, and you begin to think thoughts about spiritual things and question about who is God, and and do you have a purpose, and what has he made you to be, and what is the reason for your existence here on the planet. You start thinking about deeper things. You can go hang with your buddies And do all the old stuff that you used to do. And it's amazing how when God starts drawing you by his spirit, even the conversations in the bar may turn to God. Some of the most spiritual conversations happen in the the strangest places. Because people start hungering and the spirit of God starts dealing with them. And that's the reason you need to be in the place that you're in when you feel like you're the only person there who's a Christian on your job. And you know the reason that you're there is because you're the only one that is. Because they need the light that's in your life. So the Spirit of God is dealing with people that are around you. And he's reaching into them. He's hovering over them. He's, he's brooding over the deep circumstances of their life. And, and it says, and God said, let there be light. There are always the elements of the spirit and the word. God draws and then God speaks. That's the reason the gospel is so important. When we, we, we labor to create an atmosphere in this place because we, we, we want to be the people of his presence where the presence of God, the, the manifest presence of the Lord is here in this place. We're not just going through the motions in our worship, but we're really entering in and we're touching his presence. We're, we encounter him and we're beholding his face The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we're changed from glory to glory as by the spirit of the Lord into the same image. So what we're beholding, we're we're becoming like him. And so as the presence of God is here and he's hovering, then the gospel goes forth. The spirit moves first, then the word is spoken and the gospel penetrates because the spirit softens that defensive mechanism, the shield, the hardness of our hearts. Then the word penetrates and goes forth. Theologians tell us that God created all of this out of nothing. The, the, the phrase is ex nihilo. And I, and I believe there's some misunderstanding in that because literally he created it out of himself. And himself is not nothing. I know that's a double negative. But when God spoke, he said he spoke the words. And there was the creative ability in those words to bring into existence the very thought that he had put into a word. He said, light be and light was. So those words were containers. They had creative ability. They had power to change the circumstances. Point number one that I want to bring to you this morning is that God made the first capital investment. God made the first capital investment, therefore making him the original entrepreneur. God invested himself. He took of himself out of his very nature and being and he raised up a man. He said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And in that moment, the creator defines the purpose for which man was made. 
God made the initial first primary capital investment. He invested of himself. He, it was not merely economic, but it was life. It was life in the midst of darkness. It was light in the midst of darkness. It was life in the midst of death. It was order out of chaos. And so with that first capital investment, God becomes the original entrepreneur. And that brings us to the question, what are you talking about, Pastor? I've heard that. I know it's kind of a business term. It's a French word that basically describes someone who makes, takes the risk and makes an economic investment for the purpose of multiplying those resources. Somebody takes, I'm just going to throw out an arbitrary number, $50,000, and you go out here and start a business because you have a product that you believe that can better society around you, and you believe that you can make some money off of that product in the production of it, in the sale of it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you're producing something that is good, that will benefit, that will help others, and that you can in turn make a profit off of that, not gouging people, not trying to run the prices way up in a ridiculous kind of way, but you are offering a service or a product that will bless some other people and what you, you know that others in the, in the midst of the competitive marketplace see your product or your service, service as something that is worthwhile and you can make some money off of it. That's a godly thing. All right? So an entrepreneur is one who makes the capital investment and takes the risk of potential loss or failure. He makes an investment. He takes the risk. How many of you know God made the greatest investment in the planet? He put himself into it. Uh, One of my degrees is in business from Arkansas State University. And I remember from finance class, this thing called ROI, return on investment. The higher the risk, the higher the return on investment. If you make an investment in the stock market and it's a potentially risky venture, and then you are able to see profit from it because the risk is so high, usually the profits are up there with the level of risk that you've entered into. If if you're going and investing into what we might call a blue chip company like Exxon or something like that, the the risk is not so high. It amazes me how in these days of an outrageous economic downturn that quarterly profits from Shell and Exxon, Mobil, are in the billions of dollars, and I'm going, what's up with this? The return on the investment. God has invested in the planet. He's made an investment in your life. He's gifted you with skills, with heart desires, with ideas about your future. He's given you a sense of drivenness. I mean, unless you're just totally lazy and you just want to lay back and, you know, become a uh, champion Xbox player or something. You know, if you, if, if you have any kind of drive to be able to produce something, to be able to make a living, to provide for your family, uh, to, to see a business raised up, to have a career for the future, you have any kind of an idea or desire for that, that is there because God has planted that in you. Matter of fact, it is a godly thing to have a vision to raise up a business so that it not only provides for your family, but for other families as well. And that all started with your idea that, by by the way, God gave you. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Now, this is not on the board, so just listen. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, there's been no mention of Eve so far. She doesn't really show up in name until Genesis chapter 2. But really, this shows us right here that both of them have already, it's sort of a fast forward. Adam's already been put to sleep. Out of the side, the rib, God doesn't take a bone from Adam's head so that the woman is over him. He doesn't take a bone from Adam's foot so that the woman is beneath him. He takes a bone from Adam's side and then fashions... He builds a woman, literally in the Hebrew. So when Adam looked at her and he said, my God, she, that woman, whoa, man. She is built. Literally, that's what the Hebrew says. He built the woman out of man. In the same way that Christ hung on the cross and was pierced in his side, right at the rib, and that open wound outflowed the two elements of your salvation, blood and water. And it was from the very side of Christ himself, the second Adam, the last Adam, that the church was birthed. First Adam gave birth to Eve out of himself. Second Adam, last Adam, Christ gave birth to the church out of himself through the blood and the water that issued forth from him. The scripture says that we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Are you with me this morning? And God blessed them, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 29, listen to this. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. I want you to see this. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right. Let's look at... Principle number two this morning. Number two, creation indicates purpose. Everybody say purpose. Creation indicates purpose. When we recognize that something is made for a reason, if we don't know that reason, then we need to go back and talk to the inventor. I remember preaching something similar to this years and years ago, and I brought a whole bag full of stuff, most of which came from my kitchen. And, and it was little plastic things that had two or three levels in it, and one of them actually I said, what is this? And all the ladies said, that's a, that's a yolk egg strainer. And one was to like a little, little short, tiny pair of tongs, and it was to, to pick the caps off of strawberries. And I brought a fork, and all the guys said, hey, I know what that is. I got, I, my elbow goes like this, and it goes in here. <laughs> Every one of those tools had a purpose. And if we didn't know what the purpose was, then we, we go back to the inventor, to the creator. Because if purpose is not known, then abuse is inevitable. If you don't know your purpose, some of you, you might remember uh, the, the scene from The Little Mermaid. All of you who have children probably will. And, and there is the seagull out there and the, the little young Ariel has all of these things she's collected from the boats that have sunk in the sea. And she's wanting to be up there, a part of that world. 
In the very same way that as a believer, there's something that is calling you higher than all of the sin and death and sickness that is all around you. There's something that says, I want to be part of a higher world. And so she has all of these relics from the world up there and she's trying to figure out how to use them. And she has what clearly appears to all of us on the screen as a fork. And so the the know-it-all seagull says, he sees a pipe and that's a snarf blat. He, he sees a fork, and I don't remember what he calls it, but he says it's for a fine configuration of hair. And he, he twists his feathers on top of his head, and, and it all pops out. And so she starts trying to take the fork and comb her hair with it. First time she gets up to be a part of that world and sits down at the table with the king, she sees the fork at the table and not realizing the fork is for eating with, she starts combing her hair at the table. Because after all, that's what she's been told. That's what that's for. If purpose is not understood, then abuse is inevitable. Same thing with your life. If you don't understand why God created you and for what he made you to be, then you don't recognize there is a reason why you're here. There are two things. What, is, what good is your purpose-driven life if it's void of your primary purpose? God made you for communion and dominion. Say that with me. God made you for communion and dominion. God made you like himself so there is something relatable. There is a communicable ability. It's it's father to child. It's creator to creation. Now, there is a likeness, but I never will be all that he is because he is God and I am not. He is creator, I am creation. But he is father and I am his child. He's made me for a purpose. If I want to know who I am and what I'm supposed to be, it's best that I go back and talk to the one who made me. Are you hearing me? Everybody say communion, dominion. All right, I'm going to simplify that with some more common words. Everybody say relationship and rulership. Relationship is communion with God. Rulership It's dominion, God giving you authority, exercising dominion, having influence, power, in the earth. Man was created to have a, re- a living relationship with God, and out of that familial experience, he was born to rule the earth with and for and even as God. With and for and even as God. Now, I use that as a little g, a co creator, someone that God has delegated his authority to so that you would be a representative of God in the earth. That's what God made Adam and Eve to do. Now, we have a problem. We see one out with the other all over the planet. We see wicked men without a relationship with God, yet they're ruling, they're exercising authority, dominion, influence, power in the stead of God himself. We we flip it over here and we see the church with righteous men and women who have a right standing with God and they have a relationship, but yet they've abdicated any sense of responsibility for ruling and leading in the planet because they don't think that's what they're here for. I, I don't I don't want to throw any stones this morning because I really do uh, I am a fan of the brother who wrote the book and I'm not going to mention his name because this will be on our website. It'll be playing and people can hear it from anywhere. But there was a very popular book here a few years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. We've used this book. It is a great source for helping you begin to see some of the God-given purposes for your life. But I read the book, and I want to tell you something. There was, I was disappointed because the very first primary purpose that's listed in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is glaringly not in the book. 
He says very little, not, not very little, he says nothing in the book whatsoever about the fact that you and I are called to have dominion. It's all about fellowship and worship and all these great purposes, but nothing is said from Genesis 1 about you and me having dominion, exercising authority. And that's the reason that the church in so many places understands that God has restored our relationship, but we think we don't have any ruling to do in this place. We've got a, this world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through mentality. Oh, Jesus, just let me die and build my little cabin over in the corner of glory. Build my mansion next door to Jesus mentality. And therefore, we can stay impoverished. We can stay in desperate need because we're not walking in the purpose of dominion to which God has called us. Now, I'm not playing this morning. This is Labor Day weekend. This is a government holiday where we recognize the importance that our nation wouldn't be in the prosperous state that it has been in the past, that it really still at this point is, in spite of all the problems we have, that it will not regain what it has had and could have in a glorious future, except we have people that are committed to the biblical idea of work and labor. So many of us have this ridiculous southern gospel music driven idea that heaven is all about retirement and I'm just going to get up there with a three string harp and lay around on a cloud in a big diaper for eternity. I'm sorry I even said that. Just that thought in my mind, I, just, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I'm, some of y'all really struggling with the fact that I just said that. Ooh. But it's like we've got this idea that, oh, thank God, one of these days I'm never going to have to work again. I want to tell you there's going to be work in heaven. There's a job to do. There, there is work in the kingdom of God in advancing the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, as long as Jesus is holding back from coming, we need to make some money because it's going to cost some money to advance the kingdom of God. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. How am I doing here? Number three, look at this principle. The garden was made first before Adam was placed in it. God created everything that Adam and Eve would possibly ever need before he actually brought them into existence and then set them down into a finished, complete garden. What am I telling you? There is everything that you need right now in the circumstances that you're in that will meet every need that you have. God has already provided for everything that you will ever need in Christ. All you've got to do is just look around at the abundance of provision, at the trees that are in the garden around you, because hidden in those trees is your future. Hidden in those trees is your destiny. Hidden in those trees is the awareness of some ideas that God wants to bring to you that will bless you economically, that will put money in your pocket. Come on, somebody. Before your need is ever realized, God has already provided now, if you can see yourself like Adam and Eve, you and your spouse, if you can see the circumstance that you're in right now in your current career, even the one that you may not like, if you can start seeing that as a garden where everything around you for your future is already there, if you will just begin to work it and serve that garden, begin to serve that boss, 
begin to serve with a right attitude the family that God has put you in. Begin to serve with a, with a righteous attitude of caregiving, of subduing, not just dominating from the top down, but serving from the bottom up, tending and keeping and taking care of, weeding, dealing with all the problems that are in your garden, doing it on time, doing it with a great attitude. What's in the garden? What's in Eden? What's, what is around you in your life this morning? Everything man needs is already in the garden. God has set you right now in your generation right down into a situation that you don't even know it yet, but there are things that are hidden in the trees of your circumstances around you that if you'll just go explore them and look for them. Some of you saying, I don't really know what you're saying. This is blowing my mind a little bit. It's a little bit. Man must look and learn. We have to through trial and error. What's out there among those trees? God says, I have given you every seed bearing plant every fruit bearing tree there was in the in in the garden when adam first got put down into the middle of it there was everything there that would sustain that garden for generations to come every time he ate an apple there were more apples hanging on a tree with more seeds inside that he could tend that garden and take those seeds and plant them and have a whole apple orchard are you hearing me there is in your garden, in your career, there are, there are problems that you face. And I want to tell you something. Your problem is not the problem, but what you think about your problem is the problem. And right along with your problem, if you'll dig deep enough, you'll find solutions to that problem. And it's usually the folks who find the solutions that get the promotions. Are you hearing me? What's out there among the trees? Food. But not just food. What else? What's among those trees? Well, somebody starts to decide, hey, let's cut some of those down and let's build a house. There's shelter. There's a whole housing industry out there in those trees in the garden. Amen. Come on. There's clothing from the animals. What else is out there in those trees? I believe that everything God ever made at the end of every day, he stepped back and he said, it's good. I think everything on the planet made from the purpose of God is good. It's how we use it and how we talk about it that makes it good or evil. Are you hearing me? The, the, the poppy that grows opium, it can be used for medicine or it can be used to abuse and it can put me in a state of addiction. Are you hearing me? Everything on the planet, there's medicine out there in those trees. Every disease that man will face, if we will through trial and error, because God has put us down here in a universe that operates on this thing called cause and effect. And guess what? If I try it and it doesn't work, then I have to go back again and try it again. Do you know why we use a product in our kitchens and in our shops that cleans up grease and deals with all the stuff that, that we can't clean up with water alone and it's called Formula 409? You know why it's called Formula 409? Because 408 recipes of it failed. It was the 409th one that worked. Well, that's really kind of cool. That sounds like a business motivational analogy. Actually, that's something that's very kingdom-oriented. You don't quit. God gives us in cause and effect. He says, if at first you don't succeed, what? Try, try, try again. What's out there in those trees? Laws that govern the garden. What else is in those trees? Isaac Newton is sitting under one of the trees one day and he discovers a law that God has put into the universe when the apple falls and hits him on the head. And he discovers, he doesn't invent it, he discovers the law of gravity. 
Thank God for Isaac because we have sense enough to know now that if we get on the top of this building and just take a step off, unless it's going to be one of those kind of things that God reveals a path like he did in that Indiana Jones movie number three, (laughs) probably when you step off that building, you're going to hit the ground and something will break. It's called the law of gravity. Madame Curie discovers radioactivity, x-rays. George Washington Carver, African-American, discovers a thousand different uses for peanuts. Cyrus McCormick gives us the reaper and the industrial revolution is begun. Now, these are people that are out here in the farm and it's, it's taken men working every day for hours, 12 hours, trying to reap wheat and we've got a an, an English clergyman by the, time of, by, the, by the name of Thomas Malthus. We talk about Malthusian predictions these days where we say the population is growing so big that the earth can't sustain it. Malthus comes along and gives us this prediction and he says, you know what? The English race is, or rather the, the human race is going to be extinct because we can't grow enough food. Well, you know what? At that time, that probably was a legitimate prediction, except they were just before the Industrial Revolution. So here comes Cyrus McCormick. He's, he's a thinker. He's got ideas and he puts together this whole concept of a reaper that can in one day do the job of 12 men. He can reap 12 acres with this machine, 12 acres of wheat. What would have taken 12 men to do 12 acres, it was about one man per acre per day. How many of you know if God gives you an idea and you're able to put that thing into place and it can work, it can literally change the whole course of human history. So we've got all the doomsday prophets that are telling us the population is growing. You know what we're hearing? That same kind of mess right now again today. The environmentalists are telling us all this stuff about resources and the planet and global warming and the population is increasing so, and it's just almost 300 years replayed over again. And at the very same time, God brought a whole new thing into being with some Christian people, men and women, who brought inventions that changed the face of the planet. And we were able to geometrically produce all kinds of food, literally, Are you guys hearing me this morning? You have ideas. There are trees in your garden. This is your garden right up here. And you have, some of you lay in the bed at night and you think about, well, what if we had something that would make this easier on our job? You know what? God is probably trying to break through to you to give you that idea so you can put that thing together. And guess what? You can be a millionaire so that you can advance the kingdom of God. Am I in the right place this morning? A doctor who loves God in the 1800s, is doing surgery on patients, and he decides to pray and go back and read the Pentateuch again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and he reads that every time somebody's sick, that Moses quarantines them and sets them outside the camp, and they even wait before they move for those sick folks. And so he begins to put forth the idea of the germ theory. So he decides that next time he operates on somebody, he's going to scrub his hands with soap, He's going to make sure that every one of the instruments that he cuts open this person with is totally sterilized. And guess what? His mortality rate totally goes up. People start living after surgery instead of dying because he comes up with the idea of germ theory. This was a Christian man. Those of you that are in medicine, that you're in nursing, there's so much that is owed to your Christian faith and the foundation of who you are in Christ that came out of people who had a desire to help others. Are you hearing me this morning? Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. Modern antibiotics were developed. 
What am I trying to tell you? Don't sit around with your countenance down and you're disgusted and you're frustrated and you feel like you're living paycheck to paycheck. You know what? Your grandmother's coconut pie recipe may be the beginning of a business that's going to make you some money that will carry you over. Maybe this is not what you guys thought I was going to bring today. Anybody hearing me this morning? God wants to bless you. He wants to put some funds in your hands. He wants to turn around this whole economic downturn and give you the ability. Isaac in Genesis 26, in the middle of a famine, God said, don't go back to Egypt, but stay in the land and plant. And guess what? The Bible says God blessed him a hundredfold and he became a very wealthy man. When everybody else around you is hurting, God can have the ability to carry you and bless your business. He can bless your job. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? I, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to carry these two principles over to next week. But I, I did a wedding last night in the Botanical Gardens in Memphis for a young couple, some friends of mine. And we're driving around the loop, and I see up there a Chick-fil-A sign and one cow standing on the back of another cow. Come on, you've all seen those. And I looked at Dawn, and I said, I tell you what, I bet whoever the sucker was that came up with that cow idea for that chicken restaurant is a millionaire. She said, oh, yeah, about 100 times over probably. Guys, there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's nothing complex about a couple of crazy country, countrified cows that you see all the time in their commercials. Somebody had a moment of a, of a light coming on. Now, why can't that be you, Billy? Really, Billy, I mean, for real, why can't that be you? Anybody in this room? Why don't you begin to think this way? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, I'm wrapping this up. He said, I wisdom, I wisdom create witty inventions. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If Christ has all wisdom and knowledge inside of him and Christ is in you, guess what's on the inside of you that just needs to be unlocked? How many of you know that if you'll begin to put God first and seek his face and get into his word and pray and say, God, give me ideas, it's amazing how he can cause creativity to spring up in you. And we can see this spirit of bondage, of poverty broken in the Mid-South, in the Delta. We don't have to stay in the situation that we're in. In your family, you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. You can begin to implement some some biblical concepts of economics that will begin to bless you. Now, let me just say this. I want you to know right now that what I've said this morning is probably nothing you've ever heard from a TV preacher. We're not going to have $100 prayer lines. I, I hate that mess. I, I don't like pressing for money. We talk about it really very little around here. But I want to tell you, I believe that God wants to invest in you and he wants you to get, have the ability to take what he's put in you and multiply it so that we can have some resources to advance and build the kingdom of God. Does anybody else in the room believe what I just said? Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Now, when, we, when we're talking about this, I want you to realize that God starts every day. He says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And behold, it was good. The second day, he makes new creations, new changes. And at the end of the day, he says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And it was good. Six days, he adds man to the completed work. And he says, behold, it was very good. 
when God looks down into your life, can you actually reconcile the idea that he looks at you and he sees something and he says, what I see in Sue, Susan, and Buddy, it's good. What I have put in them, it's very good. Can, can, you, can you look at yourself and can you see God saying what I see in Cam and Shannon? And it's very good. What I see in Perry and Pam, I've added two and every time it's been good, but what I'm seeing, it's very good. You know, I think it's interesting that in the Hebrew, the day doesn't start at sunrise, but it starts at dusk the day before. The new day starts in the dark. As you step out in faith in a new period in your life, in God, it's always in the dark. And you go through those dark hours of trusting and believing when nothing around you looks like it's going to come to pass. And you're just doing all you're living on is raw faith. And it's dark and you're going, God, I got to have light. And the scripture says before, sometimes before the light comes, it's the darkest moment. Just before dawn breaks. And so I want to say to you this morning, some of you are struggling right now. Some of you, there are people sitting here in this room, you've been laid off and you don't have a job right now. And you're going, Pastor, I need some supernatural provision from the Lord. And I just want to say to you today, if you're sitting here in this place and maybe it's your first time or you've been coming just a few weeks and maybe you're kind of scratching your head going, what? I don't know exactly what he's talking about. I know that maybe, maybe God invested, he sent Christ. I understand that much. If everybody, if you would, please just bow your head with me this morning. I just want to ask you this question. God made the greatest investment initially by speaking out of himself and creating everything that we have here. And then in order to correct the sinful disobedience of Adam, he sends his son in the likeness of Adam to be the last Adam to bring a finished end to him and to start a whole new creation is what the Bible says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. God has made the greatest investment. And with his investment, he expects a return. He's risked it all. He's given his precious son. This morning, I would ask you, have you responded Have you given him something back in return? Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, that's the step I'm asking you to take, is to receive that investment in yourself and to say, God, I give you my life. God's looking for a return on his investment in creation. He's looking for a return on his investment in your life. Somebody said, God invests in us with our talents and our skills And then everything that we give back to him in our lives is our gift back to him. And so this morning, I would just ask you, have you done that? Have you taken that step? If you'd like to be included in this prayer today, if you would, nobody's looking around, every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you'd just like to say, Pastor, would you please pray with me right now? I I want to take that step. I know God's given his son and I want to give my life to him because my life is a mess and I need somebody to help me. I need Jesus to help me straighten this mess out. Anybody in the room, every head bowed, every eye closed, anyone just slip up your hand. We want to pray with you this morning. Anybody at all? Yes, I see that one. Thank you. Anybody else? All right, real quickly. You already know Jesus. You've been walking with him for a little while or for a long time. It doesn't matter. But there's something in this message that grabbed you today, something of a dream, something that said, you know what? God has something up his sleeve for my life. He has a purpose. 
I need to know what he calls me, what, how he defines me. Because he created me, therefore he has a purpose for me. And, and, and I believe there's probably several of you at least that would be willing to raise your hand and say, Pastor, you know what? I don't have confidence that I know what that purpose is, but I'm going to seek him. And I want a fresh start as I make a decision to seek his face. If you would, heads bowed, eyes closed. Anyone who'd like to be prayed for in that, would you just slip your hand up? Because there's several. Father God, we just thank you right now in the name of Jesus that the investment that you made for us in creating this planet and this universe in which we live, Lord, the greatest investment that you gave of your son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live the perfect life and to die for sinners just like we are. Lord, I thank you for for the one hand for my sister who raised her hand. I ask you in Jesus' name. Lord, that you just reach right down now and you do a work that no man can do. You're drawing like the Spirit of God was hovering over the the confusion, the chaos in Genesis 1-1. And then God said, light be. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're speaking into my sister's heart right now, the light of God. Thank you, Lord, that as she puts her trust and her faith in you, thank you, Jesus, that there's a new creation that has begun, a fresh start, a new day. We rejoice with her in that. God, I just thank you this morning for all the other hands that went up around this room that are acknowledging and saying, I need to know my purpose. I've just been floating. I I, I want to be on a a path of confidence that I'm walking with God. I have a relationship with him and I begin to walk in what it means to to rule, to have dominion, to have God-given authority. God, I pray for each of these who raise their hands that as they open the word that you'd shine a light, oh God, and just reveal the greatness of the calling that you have on every one of these people in this room. Thank you, Lord, that as we turn from our past and we turn to you, God, you're able to ignite fresh things and new ideas. Lord, you're able to give us faith and give us finance. Lord, to be able to invest in businesses, to bless your kingdom. There are folks in this room this morning that need a job. God, I ask you to move this week. I ask you to move, oh God, and open a door that no man can shut. In the name of Jesus, help us all, all, oh Lord, to get a fresh perspective of the garden that we're in, the circumstances around us, and Lord, to start shaking those trees in faith because there are ideas out there. There are new inventions. Lord, there's a service. There's a product. Lord, there's something, oh God, that you want to start and bless these people with exceeding abundantly above all that they can even ask or think. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. All of God's people said,